Hello, this is Stephen Seifert. Uh, you're listening to the Dulcimer Geek Podcast, and I'm here with Aaron O'Rourke. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, Steve. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. You're you're down in Chattanooga, yeah. actually Signal Mountain, yep. right? Hanging out with the Dan. Why isn't Dan with us today? What's he doing? I believe he's working on the house, uh, tearing down walls and rewiring it and stuff. That's insane. I have no idea how to do anything like that. I guess I do, but I'm not going to tear down any walls. Yeah. I mean, but, I understand the temptation, but I won't do that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, yeah. know what it's, I know what it's like to want to kick a wall. Well, I've yeah. done that before. Yeah. I, I've, um, I'm having a musical midlife crisis. Oh. And, I mean, it's not a crisis. But I'm glad I'm talking to you this morning because one of the truths about what I'm doing is I'm playing a mountain dulcimer. Um, and I really like playing it. Okay. You know, sometimes people have said to me, like, um, you know, what did you do? Just pick an instrument, you know, that you thought you could get work with. And it was, <laughs> I was actually obsessed with the mountain dulcimer at the age of 16. Yeah. And getting into 17 and 18. I think back to why I liked it. Um, and a big part of why I like the mountain dulcimer is, there's a challenge involved and the the part of the challenge is although it's easy it's an easy instrument for beginners i think yeah it, I, I think it's a hard instrument to to um to kind of be an advanced musician on i think there's mm-hmm. some ergonomic challenges yeah i have always been drawn to the 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 challenge of let's let's do something that hasn't been done yet with this instrument. Now, when I look at guitar or piano, um, I, I feel like so much has been done. I have a hard time figuring out Mm. what, what to pursue as far as, um, like an explorer. Yeah. But with the mountain dulcimer, I've always been able to be an explorer with it. So like for you, you, you started playing in high school. Yeah. Yeah. I was about 16. So um, just well, turned 16. You play other instruments and you play them well. Um, well why thanks. do you take the mountain dulcimer seriously? Why does it take up so much of your attention? Are you obsessed with it? Like, why do you like this thing? Um, well, I think my, my reasons for liking it have evolved, uh, since I picked it up. Um, <clears throat> to speak to, I guess, a little of what I think you're talking about. Um, uh, when I first heard it, I was attracted to the sound of the drones. Um, and that's what excited me. That's what hit me. I loved that I could pick it up and sound good immediately. Like, yeah, I, I, liked that too. I, I liked the sound that was coming out of this box, even though I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and I think that's great. Uh, I think that's also what contributes to it having the reputation of being an easy instrument to learn. Right. I don't think that's a bad thing either. Um, and I've, I think I've kind of gone back and forth on that, uh, when it comes to other instruments, um, you know, when people say, uh, well, the dulcimer is easier to learn than guitar 
uh, or banjo or mandolin or piano or anything like that. Um, I, I disagree a little bit. I think that it is easier to sound good on it quicker, but I think it, a lot of it has to do with the prevailing repertoire. I think if, um, boil and cabbage was the, uh, you know, and a simplified version of Voljo Clark was the prevailing repertoire on, uh, on guitar and mandolin. I think that it would have that same reputation as being something simple to learn. Um, when it comes to arranging some more progressive ideas, uh, going into territory that other instruments have already gone to, the dulcimer has some pretty unique challenges. Yeah, definitely. Um, it has its own unique strengths, but it, it has some, some definite challenges. So I, I don't think that it's, it really is, uh, any more simple, I think it just has completely different strengths and a, a different character. And that's why I play other instruments is because they don't give me what the dulcimer gives me. Does that make right. sense? Yeah. Okay. But, but, you know, I mostly see the mountain dulcimer side of you. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't get to experience you on other instruments as much, you know, mm -hmm. like if you go through a guitar phase for three months and you're out playing with folks around yeah. Florida, mm -hmm. I'm not around all that. So, but my impression usually is that you're, do you mostly see yourself as like mostly a dulcimer player? Yeah, that's, that's the instrument that I've gravitated to more than the others for sure. Yeah, but um, why? Uh, a few reasons. Um, number one, I just liked the sound of it. Um, number two, when it came to actually learning music, um, and, uh, why things sounded a certain way, getting into arranging, getting into theory, dulcimer made the least amount of sense. And so it required me spending a lot more time on it. That's interesting. Um, like there are certain licks that I know I can do on guitar that just fall really naturally on it and trying to do that on dulcimer is takes a huge commitment yeah um, it's almost like an athletic pursuit on yeah. the mountain dulcimer uh, there's things that on the the keyboard I, I can i can play really fancy things without hardly any effort yeah and then i go to the mountain dulcimer and i'm thinking how do i do it on here mm. and once i figure out what's going to make the right notes. Then I got to deal with the challenge of, wow, that really hurts my hand. Right. Wow. There's no <laughs> way I can do that yeah. up to speed. And, and sometimes I have to have, um, like I got to have a lot of faith in the process because right. I might go for many months, mm -hmm. uh, hoping that this idea will eventually be something I can do up to speed. Sometimes mm -hmm. I find out, wow, that just didn't work or whatever, but it's, the the feedback I get from like when I'm playing a, a, a piano, when I get uh, the time that goes between me getting a new idea and me being able to do that well is pretty darn fast. On the yeah. dulcimer, it's these real long, uh, patient periods of my life. Yeah, and I guess I like that. And you you think you like that kind of thing too? I do. I also it's that's what's made me. Uh, that challenge, the ergonomic challenge that you were talking about, um, that was also motivation for me kind of re-examining and taking a close look at setup. And I know we use 
very different setups and setup is a really personal thing. But, um, I think gearing the dulcimer, whatever dulcimer it is you're playing, uh, setting it up specifically for your playing style so that there's the least amount of strain or to give you the best results that you can get is really important. And it's something we don't really talk about a whole lot. Well, that, that kind of reminds me of, um, when you go get a good, uh, pack to go back, you know, to go hiking, or mm-hmm. whatever. um, you want to get a really good one, but then you spend, you spend the next few hikes at least really fine tuning how this thing sits on your back yeah. and, <laughs> and all these little things. And, um, and, mm-hmm. and some people with a dulcimer, they just kind of run with it as is, but mm-hmm. I know we both are always trying to figure out how can I make this thing more comfortable? Right. How, how can I make it work better? Yeah. I, I do want to talk about that, but before we do, I got to get back to me. You know, I was going to bring it. everything back to me, right? Yeah, and and so, I'm I'm good at talking about midlife crisis right now because I. Oh, that's yeah, yeah. Are you in your midlife, really? It, well, I don't really know that that is yet to be seen, but I did turn the big three zero last night. Wow! Yeah. Yesterday, happy birthday! Yeah, thanks. That's all I needed. Thank you, dude. My <laughs> birthday is on the 29th, so oh, cool. And I turned the big four two. Oh wow! Well, and to, so I I don't know. I think yeah. midlife now is considered to be seventy because most people are going to live to one hundred and forty. Totally, soon. yeah. So really, we're just we're just getting started. But the here's what's going on with me is I know with dulcimer that I love it. Mm-hmm. I don't know why exactly. Yeah, and I know when I. When I'm playing it, I'm happy. When I play it on a stage, I'm happy in a different way. And I don't really understand that. It's not just me wanting attention or whatever. It's it's the pressure that, hey, we're not stopping. You, Everybody's watching. Whatever you're going to do, make it work. And mm-hmm. there's an improvisational process and there's risk-taking and there's reading the crowd. And I love mm-hmm. all that. I love when I teach um, – I, I was so worn out uh, about a week ago and I'd actually had two hours of sleep. I had a rough night. My mom had a lot of trouble. Um, and we, I get to the workshop and I'm thinking to myself, I do not know how I'm going to do this. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to teach all day. And then as soon as I opened my mouth, it was like, boom, it was happening. And it was all, it was strange. It was yeah. like, I was watching myself teach. And I thought, thank goodness, Steve has this because yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I could do it. I love teaching. Um, so let me shift away from dulcimer. So I've spent the last two years catching up on something that I was really into in uh, middle school, high school and early college, which was like, electronic music. Mm-hmm. So I've spent the last two years learning um, multiple pieces of software, Logic, Ableton, Live. Um, I've gotten a number of, of uh, plugins I've had to get to know. I've studied FM synthesis, um, granular synthesis, uh, additive synthesis. Uh, I've, I've, I've got some modular synthesis simulators. I, I've got some MIDI controllers. I'm learning about composing in the moment. Anyway, I've all this stuff I couldn't do back then because I couldn't afford any of it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all so cheap now. It's crazy. And so I've done a lot of it. 
But here's the funny thing is I'm always comparing this electronic music experience to what I do on the dulcimer. And uh. and I don't know if this is valid or if this um I don't even know if I should be thinking this, but this is what I end up thinking. And I'll blurt it out. What am I going to do with this electronic music that hasn't been done already? Hmm. A- and I feel like that's a sophomoric uh, kind of position to hold about it. I feel like there's a more mature artistic uh, perspective I should have. But then about a week ago, I started thinking, why are you even worrying about this? Like mm-hmm. the one thing that that had me about dulcimer is I was happy while I was doing it and it led to cool things. Mm-hmm. So part of me just thinks, hey, if you want to do this electronic music, quit thinking so much. Just keep doing it. Um, but there's this nagging part of me that's like, yeah, but I want to, uh, I want to pursue an area that hasn't really been developed, mm-hmm. and and I'm kind of coming up empty on that, you well, know. So is this a midlife musical crisis? What is this? Maybe, um, maybe you're just used to occupying that that musical space on dulcimer, and you're looking at other. Uh, um, musical adventures through the same lens. Um, but and maybe I shouldn't be. I don't yeah. Know. I mean, what I think what got us into playing anything was not the idea that we were going to do something different. I don't know. I mean, I just thought the drone sounded cool. And I think like you, like I've heard you say, um, listening to, you know, traditional players gets you excited just as well as contemporary. And it's cool. It's not for the sake of, you know, doing something different or, or new. It's just because it hits something in you and, you know. Yeah. But for me, it has been a lot about wanting to explore and have the adventure. And and like when I listen to you play Irish music on a guitar, Mm -hmm. you're doing some cool things that I'm not used to hearing other guitarists do. And that's exciting Mm -hmm. to me. I mean, don't you pursue this a little bit? Um, kind of by accident, I actually, uh, I actually took some advice that you gave to me years ago, oh, uh, really seriously. <laughs> oh goodness. Here it comes. <laughs> why it's funny. Um, but, uh, I re- remember it was one of the, one of the first times I had, I had met you. And what's funny is I'm now older than you were then at that time. Oh, <laughs> but, that's uh, weird. Yeah. So that's fun. But, uh, um, I, I think you said something along the lines of, you know, I'm going to give, I'm, I'm going to tell you some advice that people told me and I want you to know it's some of the worst advice. And that is <laughs> when people say, do your own thing, do your own thing. Right. And I remember you, and I was surprised at first cause I, I'd heard that before and it made sense and this. Wondering why. So I was, was telling bad. you that was not good advice. Yeah, and your reason for it, I thought, was interesting, and and I think very valid. You said um, something along the lines of, uh, you know, most people that do something really cool that's totally different are usually trying to copy someone else, and then find that they can't or come up with something cool in the process. And I think that everything that I've ended up coming up with that I'm proud of has actually been a result of me being influenced or trying to copy something else. And 
um, usually by accident going in a different direction with it. That takes okay. my ear by surprise and gets me excited. That's interesting to hear this. Yeah, that's interesting because that's advice I need to hear right now. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, the, that's really bizarre. Yeah, so let me restate that advice, even though it's from the old me. Yeah. So um, the idea is somebody, let's say somebody's trying to copy Aaron O'Rourke. Okay. Let's say that it's an 11-year-old <laughs> or something. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, he's not going to be able to copy you exactly. And there's a darn good chance that what's going to happen is he's going to end up, I don't know, kind of uh, filling in the gaps with, with, He's going to wing it. Exactly. Yeah. You're going to, he's trying to do this one thing. He can't figure out what you're doing. So he comes up with something that, that, that evokes the same spirit mm-hmm. or a kind of a paraphrase. Yeah. And if enough of that kind of thing goes on, by the time he's 15 and then 19 and then 21, mm-hmm. those gaps that were just exceptions to his copying of you, those gaps get bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. The hope is, you don't have to try to be different. It's we can't help but be different. Yeah. I guess that's the idea. You're yeah. gonna be different. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what kind of advice is that for me now? That the advice <laughs> would be um, the most important thing for me when I play music. I mean, the most important thing is that we feed hungry children, you know, and have good relationships with uh, our neighbors and the people we love. Yeah. But second to that, (laughs) the most important thing to me with my music is that, I mean, it sounds so selfish, but it's getting into this imaginary space, getting into the zone, getting into the flow, following the emotions, letting the... the emotions happen, mm-hmm. being creative in the moment, that whole little soup mm-hmm. of, um, of sonic madness. <laughs> yeah. David Schnaufer. I love how he called it a sonic wilderness. Mm-hmm. Um, if I get in that sonic wilderness and I'm enjoying myself, interesting things are going to come of it. Yeah. Now, uh, I mean, it, it, the hard thing and you know, you just got married and the hard thing is we, we, we're we not 16 anymore. We can't just hide and do nothing but. We've got to think yeah. about how to pay the bills and stuff. Right. And um, I think that's that's always an evolving thing. I, I, always? Yeah, that's like we're always trying to figure that out. <laughs> um, but uh, – you know, where where it comes to to doing something different and just uh and just enjoying the music that you're playing i would I, I would also say keep in mind that i think all of us have a unique combination of influences and that's oh, what yeah. that's what we bring to any kind of musical idea you can't uh, duplicate that yeah i mean uh, between, I mean, yeah, if I just talked to somebody last night and he was talking about all these bands and I'd never even heard of, and he's all into this stuff. There's just, especially now with the internet, 
every musician's coming from a different standpoint. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and as you get older, you start thinking about how am I going to use my time? Yeah. When you're 15, you're just, you're just, you're in it, you're on it, you're running with it. Yeah. And the older you get, you start thinking, how do I want to use my time? Mm-hmm. Um, I do at least. Yeah. Well, there's, um, I've, a lot of what, what we do, I think has, has to do with teaching what we come up with. Right. Um, and it's an interesting place to be too, uh, while we're coming up with new things, because a lot of people that take workshops have different motivations. Um, you know, as, as we've said before, the instrument has a great appeal to, um, to someone who's never played a, a musical instrument before in their life, um, that wants to get some kind of enjoyment, um, and, you know, be musical, have fun jamming. And that's cool. Yeah. And that's, that's an appeal that I hope the instrument never loses no matter how complicated yeah, there's <laughs> the a lot of different reasons is. people play these things and mm-hmm. w- i would never presume that everybody should do it for the reasons i do it yeah you know. um and for me it's i've been trying to strike a balance as much as i can to keep being selfish in some ways musically and coming up with yeah that's this, right just a little bit yeah right. stuff that that excites me and um uh and you know, for whatever whatever group might be interested in uh, doing it, passing that along, but at the same time, acknowledging that there is you know, a large group of dulcimer players that really don't want to come up with something new, and that's, that's cool. Right. Like they, there's nothing inferior about that at all. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I- so what? What I've been doing with instructional material that I put out is I, um, I usually try and do, you know, a book or something that I think, okay, I think there's people that would be interested in this. And then, then one that, okay, I'm interested in this. I feel passionate about it. Yeah. I like that. And I think there might be a group that's also interested in this, but they might be the minority, but I still want to do something, you know, for them and with them because, we share this passion. Right. So, so on one book, your goal is, I think this will have mass appeal, mm-hmm. but on another book, you're thinking, this is something that's important to me. And if, if only 20 people over the next 10 years enjoy this book, that's okay. Cause it's important to me to do this. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I like that idea of alternating that kind of thing. Yeah. But I'll also say I've been, I've been wrong. I've been way off. <laughs> and, uh, and some things that I thought, you know, there would be interest in, you know, there haven't been. And the things that I thought were selfish ended up being, there ended up being a, a bigger audience for it than I thought there would be right. originally. So I'm not good at playing the role of psychic and I'm not a good businessman. <laughs> but uh, It's funny. And I like what you said about uh, making sure you've got a little selfishness in there. And I don't mm-hmm. think that's selfishness. I mean, yeah, ultimately, um, for me, like right now with the mountain dulcimer, there's some things you might call selfish, but mm-hmm. I don't think they are. But let's say that, you know, I, I haven't released a CD in a while. So if I just start getting obsessed with different 
the music of different cultures and what are my favorite tunes that I haven't recorded. And, and I just get lost in this sonic wilderness of all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, with dulcimer school, I need to shoot some more video for that. Mm-hmm. Well, what if I did some stuff that just really was important to me? I don't know if anybody else is going to like it, but I think it's rock solid and it's important. Mm-hmm. And I get, I go through this period where I'm really focused on this stuff that I'm excited about and that I love and I'm developing it. That's not really selfishness because what that's going to do is it's going to share these ideas with other people. Um, some people might just be enjoying listening to it. Others will enjoy learning from it. It's, mm-hmm. it's going to pay some bills. Yeah. It's going to, um, probably, um, be a way to invest in some relationships, you know, like yeah. if you and I mm-hmm. did a track together, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of like, um, it's a weird thing. I mean, I think when you do something and it takes care of you eating and keeping the lights on and it's fostering a deeper friendship with mm-hmm. somebody and you're developing relationships with uh, students and other players out there. I mean, that's, that's the truth of what we're talking about. I, I guess selfishness might just be shooting up heroin every day. And, you know, I don't know, something that just absolutely doesn't yeah, it gives you nothing to share with anybody, I guess. Yeah, if we're not those kind of musicians, I don't think. I don't think um, we could. I don't even, no. Nah, yeah. I don't like needles. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you, um, but you did release a CD recently, right? Didn't did you? I? Yeah, you and Rick Thumb, didn't you do a live CD? Yeah, I guess we did. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, this here's this is interesting because I love Rick. He's one of my he's one of my close music friends, man. Yeah, you know, like we've been working together forever, being at the same festivals. I always love playing with Rick, and we mm. did this concert in Florida, and. It was, I think we did a pretty darn good job and we rehearsed quite a bit. And if, and you know me a little bit, I mean, it's hard (laughs) to get me to rehearse, but Rick was like, no, 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 let's do it. I mean, we, we worked out set lists. We, we rehearsed beginnings and endings and we just, we worked it more than I'm used to. And, and we got out there a couple years ago and we, we did just a two hour show with an intermission. I think that was how long it was. Cool. And it was pretty fun, yeah. you know? Now, we didn't plan on recording it. We had like a, um, you don't forget, dude, you asked. <laughs> so I'm telling <laughs> you the whole story. So we had a dictation, a digital dictation device. It's one of those things that's like as big as a small candy bar or something. Okay. And, um, and somebody put that on, I think, on a, on a table right in front of the loudspeaker. And so it's a mono recording um, on this little digital device. And, you know, we, Rick got this thing later and he said, look, man, this is noisy. Um, You know, you can hear a lot more of the echo in the room or the reverb. But he said, it's really surprisingly better than you would think. And he said, you know, this was a pretty cool performance and we have a recording of it and I'd hate to just throw this out, you know, and we went Mm -hmm. back and forth on it. And I was like, well, should we, um, should we just do a studio recording? I mean, we've already rehearsed this stuff. Let's just rehearse it some more and do a studio recording. And he was like, man, if you want to do it that way, it's okay, but I want you to listen to it. He sends it to me. 
it does sound a little noisy. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's just a little device sitting out in the room. Um, but the mix was pretty good. Cool. Like, there's so many studio recordings where they're they're overly compressing things, and yeah. they don't even know how to use a compressor. The mix is screwed up. Um, there's a certain artificialness to the the vibe the musicians have or don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was like a good vibe on here. I could actually hear me and him fairly equally, but I've got to deal with the fact that it's it's very roomy sounding. It's got this hiss kind of not, not hiss, but it's just the sound of the air or whatever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I went back and forth on it, and I finally I said I agree with you. We don't need to throw this out. We're doing the concert again. Um, so he said, let's throw it on a couple CDs. We'll leave all the talking in. And we'll just give people a taste of what a live thing is, you know. Now, I think it's good we did it. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel this con- I mean, I feel like when I sell it, I have to tell people everything I just told you here. <laughs> I'm like, and Rick does this too. He's like, look, this is not mm-hmm. a studio recording. Mm-hmm. This is two guys having fun. We had a little recorder in the You know, it's like, um, it's almost like we're apologizing for it. It was one of, it's a weird mm-hmm. thing because I I'm glad we did the show. I'm glad we we have a recording of it. I'm glad we can share that with people. Mm-hmm. Do you hear the insecurity in my story? <laughs> oh well, yeah, <laughs> but I think that uh, I think that's understandable. I mean, even I think with every CD I've ever released, I've been insecure about it. Um, <laughs> it's a it's a thing. There's nothing. Um, I, I know this is different than what you're what you're talking about. Um, uh, it sounds like the insecurity is coming from a lot of circumstantial stuff having to do with the recording, and that it's it wasn't a studio recording. It was very live. Um, you were capturing the energy, capturing that moment, and releasing that on CD. And it's yeah, originally to the same audience a year later. Like we did that same concert a year later. And mm-hmm. we said, by the way, we recorded last year's show and we've got it for sale here. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's pretty cool. cool. But you I've I've listened to your insecurity uh, out of your mouth. You know, yeah. you've told me as you've done some of these things, uh, you've sent me tracks before and you'd say, you know, what do you think? Mm-hmm. And um and I'm always thinking, you know, I bet Aaron doesn't like this like as i'm listening to it i'm thinking how cool it is and i'm thinking i know aaron's pretty picky and that's why he's a good player but i bet if i tell him this sounds great he won't believe me or something <laughs> like that there, yeah there there is that <laughs> i mean there's but, a certain there's a kind of perfectionism in modern recordings that might be excessive i wouldn't mm-hmm. have thought of this maybe even 10 years ago but like when you listen to Alison Krauss sing, mm-hmm. it's perfect. Yeah. And first of all, I've heard her live and she is awesome. Yeah. So I'm not getting ready to knock her. I mean, yeah. she can nail it. But I know some people in Nashville who've been around her when she's in the recording studio. She's an absolute freak about getting the pitch right. Mm. And, and, you know, I'm just going on the word of some people here in Nashville that could be wrong, but they told me that on top of her being almost a perfect singer, she's going to use every piece of software and every every technique to try to make it even more so. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, you listen to Kenny Rogers, and now somebody I like Kenny Rogers. Let's mm-hmm. say Kenny Rogers from the eighties. Pretty darn good singer. Dolly Parton from the 80s. Pretty darn good singer, you know. Mm-hmm. They weren't using uh, these tricks back yeah. then. And and we were okay with it. Well, now we've got this pursuit of absolute perfectionism. Mm-hmm. And, and some of that's definitely good and awesome. I don't want to be one of these sloppy, lazy guys. It's like, man, it sounded good. We don't need to do it again. You're out of tune, but it just has a good, it has a good vibe. Yeah. You know, I don't want to overdo that either. Yeah. But sometimes I think, uh, I had a buddy once. He said, "Do you, uh, you know, Doc Watson, flat pick guitar player. He was one of the first guys to really flat pick the heck out of fiddle tunes on a guitar." Mm-hmm. And my buddy said, do you actually think if he went to Winfield today and competed in the flat picking competition that he would get anywhere near first place? Yeah. (laughs) Now, he might have, but it's like, no, because, Mm. you know, but it's Doc Watson and it's not just me being emotional. He's got a real, he's got a spirit and a force that's to be reckoned with. So, Not to mention that he's influenced everyone who's... Entering oh, yeah. the flat pick guitar competition. <laughs> that's right, which yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. But when you send me a track, mm-hmm. my job is not to tell you if you have achieved some kind mm-hmm. of sterile perfection. I have to balance a number of things. And you mm-hmm. have to do that too when you're listening to your own music. And right. it's it's a mental it's enough to make a person feel a little insecure, if you ask me. Yeah, well, I think just hearing hearing yourself back in the studio. I mean, we call it, uh, the engineer that I work with, we call it being on the Humilitron because it is, <laughs> it really is the most humbling experience just hearing yourself back solo and such strong detail. And, um, especially right away. Um, one interesting phenomenon that, that does happen, I think is that recordings tend to heal over time. Uh, yeah. And talk about that. Yeah. So now after driving myself nuts in the studio, I've, I've got a little bit different approach. Um, before I used to, uh, you know, just do take after take after take. And if I didn't nail it, you know, I was frustrated because I always felt like, you know, I can, I can do this. I can, I, I know I can play this because this is how I, the way I hear myself when I'm practicing in my, in my bedroom or my living room, it's, it, it's perfect in my ear. <laughs> but uh, going in the studio when you know the red lights on, suddenly it's a, uh, it's a lot more tense. You're hearing yourself back in a different way. There's all this stuff. And if you're playing to a click track, um, that in itself is a learning curve. Um, yeah. Wait, uh, but, uh, you, you feel like you're, it's like, all right, every note really matters more than it ever has mattered or ever yeah. will matter. Mm-hmm. Like all my peers are going to judge me based on that last lick that I mm-hmm. almost got. Do we do it again? You know? Yeah. And the metronome, the, it's a mental minefield. Yeah. <laughs> minefield. Minefield. Yeah. It's um, the metronome. It's here in Nashville. It's very common for people to use a metronome, but these people have been studying how to use a metronome. They practice right. how to 
play with a metronome. They've been working on this for years, so mm-hmm. it works. Yeah. Um, but you, if you just like, let's say you're recording some, uh, some young guy who, you know, and he's never worked with a metronome, it's not going to work. But for me to be making those decisions about me on my recording, like, do we use it? Yeah, let's try it. All right, you do six takes of the metronome. The engineer says, let's try it without the metronome. And then he says, that that's that feels better. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm thinking, is this guy just tired of the session and he's wanting to move me forward? I feel like every time an engineer starts saying, dude, it's, it's rough, but it's a good roughness. You know, I'm thinking he's ready to – he's looking forward to getting off. Right. <laughs> and, and getting out of here. Um. It's it's such a freaky mental experience, isn't it? It is, but I think it gets better the more just like anything else, the more you the do more it. The more you do it. I don't do, you know, 15 20 takes anymore. I just do four takes. Right. And uh um and then I put together what I think is is the best take, you know, the, the best working track it, you know, could be you know, the first time through from the first take, second time through from the fourth take and, you know, combine them like that. But with, you know, just doing four takes, I can keep track of that mentally. Yeah. Um, leave the mic set up. I don't listen to it for 24 hours. That's I, not a bad idea. I let it heal. <laughs> so, and if I'm happy with the execution, then, then I keep it. Um, then the, the mixing is a, is a whole nother thing. The, the best advice I got from an engineer is you're never going to be happy. <laughs> and, yeah. and ever since he said that, I've actually been a lot more happy <laughs> with, with mixes. It's almost uh, like you're shooting for something that's pretty good. Right. You're, you're not shooting for something that's perfect. Yeah. I mean, if there's a lot of things I think are like that. If I sit down to write a tune and I, I'll think, well, these two measures, this is not as good as it could be. Well, I'll never get anything done. Mm-hmm. I kind of have to just, look, I'm writing a tune, and I'm not going to think too much about it until the tune's done. And then 24 hours later, I can go back and look at it and start to make improvements. Too often, I've gotten caught up. I, I just get stalled because mm-hmm. whatever I'm doing right now is not as good as I wish it would be. Yeah. When really... Some of the most productive, effective people, they know how to knock out a first draft. Right. You know? And this this movie with this um uh Sean Connery and he's 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 a he's a writer in hiding and he's helping this kid in the city who's a talented young writer. He told the kid, you know, the first draft you write with your heart. And he mm-hmm. was encouraging the kid writing uh, a novel or whatever to just sit down and start typing mm-hmm. quit thinking so much and i feel like every time i've actually gotten something good done it's because i've turned off the critical part of my brain a little bit and i've just knocked out a first draft and you can always tweak that first draft you know right and i think when it comes to to writing and composing a new a new tune that's a whole nother mind game <laughs> in itself. Um, and you've done I, much more of that than me, I think. You know, like I improvise in the moment uh, and hope I get away with it. You actually plan out and create some really amazing pieces. And it, it takes a, a long time, but every single piece is like there's always this this little part of me that's like, is this 
really even a song. <laughs> like there's almost a need for someone else to go, Oh, that's cool. And then finally it's a song. Yeah. And, um, usually it starts as just a part that I, that I like practicing that has a little hook that I, I like playing a lot. And the, if someone comes along and they're like, Oh, what song is that? That's, that's nice. Then suddenly, Oh, like it feel validated or something. There's that's weird. Yeah. There's this whole insecurity thing that goes with I have it, it too. Yeah. yeah. But you push through, I mean, you, you, um, there's so many songs, like I'll hear something where somebody does a song where, you know, they've written something instrumentally mm-hmm. and 98% of what they do just sounds like normal kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to use the word bland, but it kind of just sounds like 98% of their little tune there mm-hmm. is just the normal stuff you would expect. And then 2% of it is some cool surprise. Right. Which that's great, you know, but that's what a lot of tunes are. But with what you write, I feel like there's a whole lot more surprise, Thanks. you know. Well, you know, one of the one of the exercises I like to do when I sit down with the dulcimer is just look at the fretboard and go, okay, what have my fingers not done? That's good. So it's not very artistic or creative or anything like that, but it, it's really a physical exercise and navigating the fretboard in a way that I didn't think of That's before. Good. And but what usually happens is because my fingers haven't done it, it catches my ear by surprise, and I want to explore that more. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. It's almost like um, I've done a little of this, and you. St- you take something that you never even you haven't done because it seems ridiculous and then you realize wait a minute this is not ridiculous yeah <laughs> and then you get a little better at it and you think wow this actually sounds cool yeah and then all of a sudden you're launched on the path to giving this thing some faith and giving it some time and effort and yeah i totally relate to that yeah so i don't i mean if this so this is funny how we started the podcast because I, I I thought well let's you know we'll start talking about the fact that I'm wondering why do I do what I do with with electronic music or with climb or banjo or with <laughs> um, these different things that aren't dulcimer related you know and then mm-hmm. and then very quickly you and I fall into I I love the dulcimer I love everything <laughs> about it I yeah. like recording I. It's kind of I don't get why I like it and but mm-hmm. clearly I sound like a fanatic a little bit <laughs> as I listen to myself here um I so many things we do in life it's weird you know I hear somebody say well I want to be a and I've talked about this on the podcast before but somebody'll say you know I want to play piano but they don't have a piano. They they never play piano. They they're making no effort to play. But they're saying, "I really want to do that." You know. Mm-hmm. Well, some of the crazies out there, and maybe I'm one of them. I've been crazy enough. I wanted to play a dulcimer. I got a dulcimer. I played it every day. But it's not mm-hmm. like an act of discipline. Yeah. It's not like I should get any respect for. Well, Steve, you know, I don't know that I. I it's it's it's. Playing dulcimer for me is almost like eating. Yeah. You know, when I get done eating, I always say to myself, I'm not going to eat anymore. 
Like my next meal, I'm not going to eat much. I'm going to start eating a third of what I normally eat, and I'm I'm going to quit eating carbs. And but then four, five, six hours later, I'm hungry, and I'm like, I'm going to eat like a monster. I'm going to eat carbs, and I want gravy and sauces. Yeah. And for me, playing the dulcimer more so than any other instrument has felt like that. Like yeah, it even feels irresponsible. <laughs> It's almost like my brain, you know, it just said, you're doing this and there's nothing you can do about it. Now, the other things that I play aren't quite the same as that, you know, but it's it's like I'm asking myself right now in my life, do I want that to happen with the electronic music? But part of me says, you know, dude, if it's going to be like the dulcimer, it doesn't have a whole lot to do with how you planned it. Yeah. I mean, I read this thing by Sting one time, which I probably quoted 10 times already. But he said something like, um, you know, when I was younger, I was just driven to do all this stuff. And he said, now that I'm older, I have to work much harder and be more disciplined about having this kind of musical time with myself. I forget how he put it. Hmm. But, you know, it's that thing when I was 15 and 16 and 17 and I. I didn't have a care in the world and I had all this time and I was just driven purely by the passion. Now that I'm 42 and I've got responsibilities, I, I do think I have to maybe intercede a little bit um, and, and somehow schedule the passion a little bit, you know? Yeah. I think I understand what you're saying. And I think that, uh, momentum is something that's not to be taken for granted. No way. I've learned, um, pretty, when it comes to practicing writing, arranging, or just spending time with a new technique. Um, if you, if you feel like you've got the fire right then, like it, it comes in little bursts now. Um, mostly because of the time that we have a lot that we can allot to it. Um, but if I'm feeling really driven with a, with a new composition or new technique or something, that's all I'll do for, you know, four or five hours straight or more. Um, I might only touch the dulcimer for like 10 minutes the next day, (laughs) but, uh, um, or for me the next week. Yeah. It's uh, like, I'll have, I'll, I'll play for five or six hours and mm -hmm. I'm, other than gigs and warming up and that kind of stuff, I might not touch the dulcimer at all yeah. for two weeks or something. Mm-hmm. But like you're saying, when it's hot, you want to strike. Yeah. But what I'm wondering is, as we get older and we have more responsibilities, mm-hmm. um, should we be encouraged that we can schedule these hot moments or, you know, if not perfectly, at least, you know, be in the right ballpark? Because I know that in Nashville with songwriters, they used to talk about, you know, there's the art of songwriting and there's the craft of songwriting. Hmm. And there's there's people where a song just comes to them and they write it on a napkin and it turns out to be like one of the most important songs of all, you know, popular music history. Right. There's other people who have written songs that have been big hits and they'll tell you, I was a staff writer. I, hmm. I wrote on average two songs a day. Somebody mm-hmm. called me and they said, we got this guy in the studio. We need a song right now. We need one more song for this album. We got an hour. 
So the guy goes over there and he says, look, I wasn't wrapped up in the art of songwriting. I was relying on my developed craft, right? almost like a mm-hmm. sculptor who knows how to pump out something. And, mm-hmm. and he said, I'll admit it's a good song. I wouldn't call it a great song, you know? And it's like, part of me is thinking of the art versus the craft. I, I, I can't wait just for the ideal perfect moment when everything is just perfect before I play. Right. And I'm almost ready to be, I'm okay with scheduling some of that almost magic with the hope that it will lead to more of those hot, real art moments. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there's some validity to that. Um, When you look at the major composers that have really affected music and stood the test of time, they composed a lot of stuff and not all of it's created equally but they still wrote it. The, I would say all of it's pretty much good. Yeah, Some it's of it's all great. Good. Some of it's great. And I think what you're saying is you're really waiting for the really great moments. Is that what you're Too saying? Too often. Okay. Like, kind of like when I was 16. Like if I'm going to strike when it's hot, and when it's not hot, I'm not going to do it. Mm. And and I, I would say that I have made progress with this, but um, sometimes what you do is you come up with something that's okay, Mm-hmm. And then you use that as a foundation and you can, like you said, come back 24 hours, you can tweak it, you can change it. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing I liked about David Schnaufer, he would say, hey, let's work up such and such a tune. I'd go over there. I wasn't real impressed with what he was doing. And he'd say, let's play this. And we'd play it all day, like six hours or whatever, eight hours. Mm-hmm. Um, towards the end of the day, I'm thinking that's pretty cool, but I'm still not sure if David's right about this tune. It just seems weird. And then I'd see him two weeks later, he'd, or he'd call me on the phone. He'd say, listen to this. And he'd play that same thing over the phone, but he had believed in it for two weeks, whereas mm-hmm. I had given up on it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, he did it again. He <laughs> believed in something. He gave it the time. And what was mediocre at best has become what I would call like a near masterpiece. Cool. So sometimes I'm thinking, look, conditions don't have to be perfect. Right. Knock out a first draft mm-hmm. and wait 24 hours and start to work on that thing. But that's, I just, mm-hmm. I find as I get older and I have more responsibilities, it you really do have to schedule some time on this stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're married, dude. You're I married am. now. It's great. <laughs> now, I mean, you've been but, married how long now? Just a, a, a handful of months, right? A, a solid uh, two months. Yeah. <laughs> so. Two and a half. <laughs> what, what is, um, how is that changing things? I mean, I. Well, now that I have all this experience under my belt. Uh, being that's married right, that's um, <laughs> all of two months yeah <laughs> yeah you're still in the honeymoon what am i yeah. asking you <laughs> yeah well, we'll know uh, more we'll know more from you in five years or something yeah. 10 years yeah. we should do another interview in 10 years oh yeah that'll be fun i will s- say i am um, uh well I, I married a dulcimer player so that's Isn't cool. that cool it's great um, and she's <laughs> That's so hilarious. Yeah. And, um, 
I don't know. I, I really feel like if, if anything, my productivity, um, overall, uh, has gone up since That's I got good. married. Um, and maybe it's cause she's a dulcimer player. She's been super encouraging and she's also really honest. Um, when I am writing and arranging something, she's, she'll, uh, she's usually the voice that I need to validate it when I'm feeling insecure, but she'll also say, she'll, she'll notice when I flub something or when I, uh, um, right. it's not quite coming off yet. And she has the ear to point that out. And so it's yeah, cool. That, that's a really good thing. Yeah. And Nicole knew what she was getting into a little bit, right? I mean, I tried to keep it a little bit of a secret, but, um, <laughs> but no, she, she found out, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, she, she knew what it, she was getting into. It's crazy. So, so it, it's crazy what we do. Yeah. Like I, um, I've had something recently that I wish I had done years ago and I, I want to make the best of it, but I've got, I'm paying a manager to manage me and it's still working and it's working better. And, you know, part of me thinks, man, I should be able to do all this on my own, but there's a whole lot that goes into what we do. Yeah. And this guy is doing a great job of keeping, we have a little meeting. He knows what's on the plate. He certain things kind of, I'm in emergency mode. Like, all right, this dude over here needs this by tomorrow at one. And, and I'm supposed to, to get a, I'm supposed to get these descriptions done and get this, you know, and, but he also knows we can't live in emergency mode all the time. So he's like, we need to knock this stuff out now so that we can do some of this other stuff, like do a recording, get some dulcimer school videos done. Yes. It's and it's also I don't know for me personally it's it's helpful that although this guy is a good friend, um, he's not my mom. Like my mom keeps saying, "Why don't you let me manage you?" You know, it's yeah. like I don't know that that'll work out, mom. Yeah. Um, but I, I really, I really need help business wise. Yeah. I and and me and this guy have been talking. It's like if if he doesn't end up being the guy who does it, at least we're building a template for whoever might help me next. Mm. But so far I'm really happy. Like he sits here last, uh, he was over here on Monday and he just, you know, he was just saying, make another call and I'm calling clubs, you know, trying to line up a tour. And it's something that I'm reluctant to do. I'm reluctant to make the calls for some reason. Um, and he's just like, do it, do another one. Great, man, do another one. And I'm actually getting stuff done. Cool. And I would like to, I'd like to get the business part of this mm-hmm. almost rolling so well that it's out of my way mm-hmm. so that I can focus on doing all the stuff we've been talking about, about writing tunes and working on new techniques. I mean, I heard somebody once say, you know, we don't do this for the money, but the money allows us to do this. Exactly. And, and I, I need help with that, you know, and you're pretty, you're pretty on top of things. I mean, you, I think you would be able to handle all this stuff a little better than I have, but still, don't you think the idea of having a manager isn't such a bad idea? Oh, I would love the idea of of having a manager. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's always a challenge and there's, you know, always, always a balance. And for me, 
Um, this isn't this isn't intended to be an advertisement or anything like that, but um, uh, with Patreon, yeah, um, you can advertise. Uh, I'm not trying, <laughs> but I'm incredibly grateful to my patrons and for that platform. Oh yeah, because I luckily, I mean, we both like talking about dulcimer, and I think we're enthusiastic about teaching, right? Um, and uh but when it comes to to actually the creating what it is we're going to teach coming up with something new to play um that's exciting for us that's aside from teaching and um i think that you know, sometimes when you are in a rut or you're tempted to uh to wait for the perfect moment, like you were talking about for it right. to be great, not just good. There's the temptation to sit back and everything, but suddenly when there's people that are all saying, Hey, we support you and we want you to keep creating, there's right. this extra pressure. There's pressure for good, it to be good, good cause <laughs> you don't want to let them down. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I think that's for me been a big motivator to keep coming up with with new stuff, and I'm heck yeah really happy with the balance that I've had with writing and arranging new material and coming up with new things to teach. Um, but it's uh, I would say it's really with the help of really been with the help of the patrons and with having an awesome wife for the past two and a half months. <laughs> I know she's uh, been like the best wife for two and a half months. Oh, solid two and a half months. It's, it's been so, great. <laughs> how, how do you, how's your Patreon setup work? Like um, everyone does something a little bit different. Um, right. Uh, I know uh, Bing Futch and Steve Yulberg are, uh, are putting out Patreon material as well. And I believe they do it by the month. Right. So people so say somebody subscribes, you're going to pay a certain amount every month for Bing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. whether he puts out 10 things or one thing or whatever you get it all. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I don't do by the month I do, uh, per MP3, yeah. um, per song that I release. And I also release tab for it and, you know, lessons and, and other stuff to help keep it going. But I'm, I'm still afraid of doing per month. I think uh, Steve and Bing are doing a great job of staying on top of per month. But that's I'm, more pressure. Yeah, and I'm afraid with uh, um, with my schedule uh, that there's going to be a month where I'm not able to put out anything. And right. I don't want people to pay for something that they're they're not getting or support me on something that I'm not working on or able to work on. So as opposed so, to that subscription model, there's a podcast that I love listening to. It's called the Carson Podcast. And mm-hmm. this guy who's got a really great knowledge of Johnny Carson and all that stuff, um, he interviews people, like really interesting people, uh, big names, a lot of them, that, that have memories of the Johnny Carson, blah, 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 and all that. I love it. So I'm actually, this guy's got a Patreon account. Mm-hmm. And I've said I will give, and this is like a little agreement you make on the website. Every time he releases a new podcast, he gets five bucks from me, and that's automated. Mm-hmm. But I told it, 
I don't want to ever give him more than $10 a month. Mm-hmm. Um, so he can do one or two shows. He can do more shows than that. But anyway, is that how that's working with you? Yeah, exactly. Um, so whenever I come out with an MP3, you can set, set a monthly maximum. Like I'll give him a buck for every, every new song he, he comes out with. Um, and, uh, but if he comes out with two or three in one month, like I don't want to pay for the extra stuff. I, uh, um, just want to pay for that one MP3. You'll still get the extra songs that are released in that month, but it's just setting a monthly maximum. Um, and, uh, and really it's, uh, the, the dollar amount helps, but I think more than that, just every person that says like, whether I'll give you 50 cents or a quarter, it doesn't matter. Just seeing that there's another person on there that's waiting for you to release something it's encouraging. new is the good pressure, you know? I mean, we've got dulcimer school, mm-hmm. so people subscribe to that, but I also like the idea of Patreon. I want to like I use Dulcimer School for instructional. Yeah, but I'm thinking, and I've thought of this for a couple of years. I just had a rough couple of years. I'm trying to get things moving again. But with Patreon, I like the idea that I could do one track a month for an upcoming album. Mm-hmm. You know, and everybody gets that track every month, and then at the end of twelve months or whatever, I have a new record which I'm going to sell. Yeah. But um, I love the idea of having those people there waiting on something. Yeah. So it's this is crazy, you know. Um, in the old days, you would have somebody playing piano at some kind of bar or something, mm-hmm. and there was no recorded music. You know, you had to have live musicians. So you got this guy who's a good piano player, and he's showing up all the time. He's working all over town. Today we've got this strange situation with the internet. We've got all these venues and I would say for the most part, it's a blessing. Yeah. I'm glad that I'm on top of a lot of it to some extent. Mm-hmm. Part of me sometimes thinks it, it should be nice if I could just play and only play and not have to, <laughs> but it's, I feel like we're, we're internet farmers, but that's not our goal. Yeah. Our goal is to do what we love with the people we love. Yeah. And um it's I'm thankful for it. Yeah. And what are you what are you uh what do you got coming up? Are you, what are you working on right now? Well, right now I'm on the road, uh headed up to uh um to the Great American Dulcimer Convention in Kentucky this upcoming weekend, the following weekend, we're going to be at the band chamber gathering in okay. Townsend, yeah, Tennessee. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's coming up, dude. Yeah. First weekend Look, in October. Um, if you go to bandjammer.com, B A N J A M M E R.com. Um, come and hear what it sounds like to have 40 band jammers in a room. And I know some people might shudder to think of the, you know, but it's, it's really quite, charming i think yeah it's cool it's got to be i think it's better than having 40 banjos in a room oh yeah definitely (laughs) so i'm looking forward to doing that with you and um you and dan landrum you guys are doing some recording or something that's the plan we'll see how his house is coming along i uh, Uh, yeah we'll see (laughs) are you serious so he had you 
Dan's working on a new solo CD that I was going to be playing on, but uh, right. yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes. He um, gets obsessed with working on a house. You might have to smack him a couple <laughs> times, bring him out of it. Yeah. Well, something will happen. And uh, where do I go f- after the band? Jammer. I'm doing a workshop in Illinois. I'm going up to Columbus, Ohio at some point and visiting oh, yeah. our good friends in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, I hope to do that in a couple weeks here. I haven't yeah. told her yet, but yeah. I'm working on that. And uh, and then the uh, the New Harmony Festival in New Harmony, yeah. Indiana. And then that's right. Yeah, and then we'll be home. Okay, and and you're taking uh, you're taking Nicole with you everywhere. Oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Well, it's certainly um, she's probably getting a kick out of this weird and wonderful <laughs> world we live in. <laughs> well, but um. Yeah, she was she was playing dulcimer before I met her, so. Right, yeah. and I remember, because I was working out there at uh, Lake Wallawa in Oregon. Yeah, um, you, you, you met my wife before I did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, and that's pretty cool. <laughs> I vetted her for you. Oh, I, <laughs> if she had been crazy, I would not have let y'all meet, you know. Oh, well, thanks. No, she's really sweet, and... Yeah. Um, Thank you, Aaron, for doing this with me today. And uh, I'm going to see you real soon. Make sure you get Dan out from under that house so you guys can record a tune or something. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll give it my best shot. All right, later, dude. All right, later. Later.